0: This is the University's Seventh-day Adventist Church in the sunny Orlando, Florida. We are glad that you are listening to our weekly podcast. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and challenged by our message today. And may God lead you in the next step of your growth and Him. Here is our featured sermon. How does the hymn go? Where ink to fill the ocean... Uh, what's, what's the word? I, I forgot. Where ink's to feel the ocean... And where the skies of parchments to write about the love of God would never be enough. How he loves us. Thank you, brother. It's okay. That's good enough. As we were preparing to come in, the brethren were sharing with me. Um, you know, the experiences, okay, sharing the experiences, and I was reminded of an experience I had some time ago, I went, invited by my uncle to go preach at his, one of his last churches, he is retired now, um, in, in a place called Ciudad Ojeda in Venezuela, where the average temperature in the shade, is 125. <laughs> and they invited me to go preach for a week, preaching every, from Sabbath to Sabbath every day. And uh, they had five air, air conditioners in the church. And I remember going with my uncle to the church. At, for the services would start at 7, so we would be at the church at 4 and get the AC started. So when people came in, it was kind of comfortable. I never saw the thermostat go beyond 85 degrees. And I would sweat my heart out every time I preached in that church. And people looked at me funny like, "Pastor, it's cold in here." They would come to church with they would come to church with le- leather leather jackets and 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 and, and, and turtlenecks. <laughs> And they would say, it's cold in here. And my reaction was always, you don't know what cold is. <laughs> so from this moment on, it is ter- it's completely for- forbidden to talk about heat, okay? <clears throat> I want to talk to you about family matters today. Things of the family, I- I- and I- f- before I do that, I have to say this, I knew I was going to find my friend Wanda here. And I told her this morning that. I knew I, she was gonna be wearing her Africa dress. So I thought, I gotta, dress my Vene- I gotta do my Venezuelan suit. <laughs> In honor of my friend, Wanda. But that, there, that brings a problem. Uh, brother, <clears throat> brother Edwards was telling me that I could take my jacket off if I wanted to, but I can't take it off because I only have a T-shirt underneath it. <laughs> All right, now go into my sermon, talking about family matters. Talking about family matters. I I was invited in our church this month. We have dedicated the entire month to talk about family, and they asked me to prepare a seminar or sermon to present on the first Sabbath, and I got to church the first Sabbath of May with my seminar and my sermon prepared, and find out they had invited somebody else. So I guess University Church gets my sermon today. I was thinking about what to teach, where to go in the Bible and talk about family. You know, we've talked a lot about family coming out of the Garden of Eden. We've talked a lot about family on the experiences of the Old Testament and New Testament. But I was reading the, book of, the first book of Thessalonians and I found some interesting stuff in there. You know? So I want to focus on that. And by the way, I know Paul is not focusing in the family as family itself. He's talking about the church as a family. But I think, you see, I believe churches are made out of families, aren't they? And if we want to build a church, we need to build a family. You know this little lady, little old lady, Sister White, you know her? She talks about this. She says, Satan has raised a banner against the families of the church. Because he knows if he can attack the families, he can destroy the church. So I think we need to take some time and talk about these things. What do you think? Well, Paul is without a doubt writing to a, a church that has brought him a lot of joy. He's very proud of the Thessalonian church. He's very proud of the new Christians at Thessalonica. I had to practice a lot that. He called him, he called them his hope and joy. He talks to them about being his hope and his joy. You know, this is a pastor who's writing a letter to his church, and he's telling them, you guys are my hope and my joy. I find hope and joy in you. These guys really had it going. They were definitely in the right track. I mean, they're doing good stuff in there. You know, the good stuff that Paul talks to the Ephesians in chapter 3, 20. Ephesians chapter 3, 20, he says, God is able to do through you far more than we could ever ask. Are you, are you with me, church? I think you guys are tired of fanning yourself up. I need, I need to hear some experience. So, some responses here. So, Paul is telling me, telling the church of Thessalonica, you guys are doing great things. And he, they're doing so, God, so good things that we could even transport some of the things that he tells to the Ephesians, talking about the Ephesians, but it's also about the, the people in Thessalonica. God is able to do far more than we can ever ask or ever dream of. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, through our thoughts and hopes, God is able to do, through you guys, great things. Paul wanted them to keep on growing, to keep on going down the road, to keep on growing and keep on saying and doing the things that they were expected to do after they received the call to be members of the Church of God. So today, I thought, I figured maybe university needed to be reminded of that. Let's go back to the basics. Let's go back to what the Lord wants us to be. 1979 was a very interesting year for me. I'm going to probably, yeah give too much information 1975 was my 5th grade was also the first time i had a crush on my teacher 5th grade had a crush on my teacher but it was also the time the year i discovered for for real i discovered baseball 1979 two things happened in 1979 one, I was happy, and the other one, I was sad, happy. 1979, the Pittsburgh Pirates beat the Orioles in the, um, <clears throat> in the World Series, and they played a song that it was the theme song for the Pittsburgh Pirates, We Are Family, remember that song? We are family, you know that, there you go, yeah, we are family. My my Pittsburgh Pirates at the time that was the the the, the team that I liked, won the series, but now finish was the big leagues, and we go to the winter leagues in my country Venezuela, and my Cardenales de Lara, my Cardinals. That year, 1979, went to the finals for like the (laughs) 20 times, with the Caracas, Lions, and the Lions beat them again. And guess what was the song they were playing? We are family. So I went from loving the song in September (laughs) to hating the song in January of the next year. By the way, great things happened. You know, the Cardinals and the Lions found themselves in the finals like 13 times after that. And always the Lions beat the Cardinals until 1990 when I was in my first church district. I was a pastor, 1990, and the Cardinals finally won over the Lions. And guess what song we, pray, we played? We are family. In your face. <laughs> we are family. That song, you know, that, 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 that's an interesting message. Paul wants the Thessalonian church to remember that they are a family. One of Paul's favorite words is brethren or brothers and or sisters. There are 13 letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament. And there are 60 times he mentions the words brothers and sisters. In 13 letters, there are 60 times when he mentions that. And just in the book of Thessalonians, he mentions it. 27 times and in the in in the section that we're going to be studying today appears five it appears five times so he's referring to the church in Thessalonica as a family he's reminding them as he is reminding us today that we who claim Christ to be our Lord and Savior we are a family we are a family with all that is good about a family and with all that is not so good about a family. Are you with me? We are a family. I mean, the Bible is filled with this. Now, I want to... Uh, you know what? You guys are distracting me with all this fanning thing. So, I want to I get you to open your Bibles with me. I'm going to give you some Bible text that I want everybody... Anyone who gets it, please stand up and read it wherever you are. First Peter, chapter three, verse eight. On this side, somebody can read for me First Peter chapter three verse eight, and I want somebody on this side to read Galatians chapter six verse 10. All right? Anybody? First Peter? Go ahead. Say what? Yes. So loving one another, be kind-hearted to one another as brothers and sisters. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of our household of faith. Alright. He you're using a, a a version that says, a household of faith. But there's also other versions that, that say family of believers. We are a family of believers. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 says we are the same family. First Peter chapter 4 verse 17 says the, we are the family of God. So as a family we are expected to exhibit certain things. We're expected to show some things. We're also expected to grow. And I'm so happy that I come today and I find University Church has grown so much. There's a sign of a church that's alive. There's a ch- signs of a church that is, a family that is growing is a good family. <clears throat> so, what are the things that are expected? What are the things that form a family? Number one, Families have policies. Family have responsibilities. I remember growing up; it was my responsibility. It was my responsibility every single solitary day for breakfast. I had to go outside, go to the orchard, the uh, the, the orange trees, and get our oranges, and then bring them in and squeeze the orange. That would be our breakfast juice. Nice, Wanda. Can you imagine that? Pure orange, no water, no sugar, just orange. That's why it's difficult for me to get sick today. Because I grew up on that stuff. Every single solitary day, orange, pure orange. That was my job. I remember my second brother, his job was to take the garbage out. And he hated every minute of that. And I remember my third brother, his job was to wash the dishes. And he hated that. So later on, my mama uh, figured out that there was too much hatred. (laughs) So she decided that one week it would be my turn to go do the juice, and then the next week it would be my my turn to do the dishes, and then the next week would be my turn to do the garbage. But we all have responsibilities in the family, don't we? We all have responsibility. Well, the same thing is in the Bible. We have to be a team. The Bible says we have to be a team. And, and actually, those are parts of the things that come in there. You know, I heard the story about a little league coach that during the game, he calls this young boy and says to him, Hey, do you understand that what the word team means? He says, Yes, coach. Do you understand that what matters is whether we win as a team? Yes, coach. The coach says, Okay, do you understand when a strike is called, and you're out at first, or you don't argue, you don't argue of course, or curse attack or the umpire? The umpire. I know that, coach. Do you understand all that? Yes, coach. Can you please do me a favor and go tell your mama that? (laughs) We all play a part in this. For a family to function well, we all have a roles to play. Well, 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 tells me that there are roles within the church, there are roles within the family. Some of us are leaders in the church, some of us are leaders in the family, aren't we? And let me say this. Everybody has a role to play, even as uh, small as this little girl over here. Can you give me 5 here? There you go. Every little person in the family has a role to play. And we all have to play it well in order for the family to grow. The church is a family, and there are different people that do different responsibilities in the church the same way in the family. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, tell me something about that. Let's go there. I'm going to read the New International Version. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. First, this is interesting. Paul is obviously talking about the leaders of the church. He is saying, he is saying what? We ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work among you, you know, we need to sometimes recognize that there are leaders in the church. But those leaders in the church not, are not leaders just because they want a title. Sometimes, though, when I was in church ministry, I would, I would tell my wife, man, if this is people that do not get paid, I wonder if we paid a quarter, how much they fight. I want to be this, I want to be that, I don't want to be this, I don't want to be that. They ha- I understand you guys went through naming committees lately. That's one thing I don't miss about church. That's one thing I don't miss about church leadership. But anyways, so do we uh, we have leadership just because the name? What I'm reading here is that if I am in a position of leadership, whether as a parent in a home or as a leader in the church, I am required to work hard, that was a weak amen, I guess you guys are tired, I am required to work hard, it's not just I show up and show my face and I'm accepted because I'm a pretty boy or a pretty girl, no, I am required to work hard. The word that that Paul uses that is translated work hard is actually toil, strive, to struggle, to grow weary in doing what we have to do. It's not just showing up and doing things. It requires that we really invest time and effort in doing things. It's not just only for the church, by the way. It's also in the family. Have you ever wondered why... People go to classes to learn how to be administrators. How do they learn, go to classes to go how to be chaplains. They go to classes to go learn how to be pastors. But do we have a class to learn how to be a parent? Don't you think we're missing something here? Because being a parent is not not something easy. I have wondered many a times. I am so thankful my daughter is who she is because I have messed up so many times when I was trying to bring her up. I thank God. God completed what I couldn't do. I thank God for that. Not only that, let's go back to the Bible text. So we work hard at being leaders or at being uh, somebody who are... You know, we work hard. Verse 13, hold them in highest regard, in love because of their work. Leave in peace with each other. Hold them in high regard. Hold them in respect. That's another call, interesting call that Paul is saying. Be, they have to be held in respect. But you see, respect is gained; It's not given just because. Church, are you with me? You know, that was something I I had to learn myself. I thought I had to be respected because I was a pastor. But I learned that respect is gained. And we gain respect through character, don't we? We gain respect through character. Matter of fact, the idea given by Paul is that the leaders have to be worthy of respect. They do not gain respect. They do not receive respect just because they have to be worthy of respect. And how are we worthy of respect? What makes a leader, what makes a person worthy of respect? Number one, he works hard. We already talked about that. Number two... He's not one of those who says, do as I say, not what I, as I do. You know what I'm saying? I have a lot of people who say, hey, um, it's like we have, a, we have a Spanish saying in Venezuela. It's like Captain Araya. And I'm going to say it in Spanish for those of you who speak Spanish. And those of you who don't speak Spanish, sorry. <laughs> he says, Capitán Araya, el que siempre manda y nunca hace nada somebody who who's always sending somebody else and he ain't doing nothing. Um, matter of fact if I may be, if I may be a little, I, I, I had to write this year, this year I've had to do a lot of things in the hospital that I didn't do before and one of the things that the administrator of the hospital asked me, he asked me to write down what Ivan, what do you think would be the mission integration model that leaders can use to integrate the mission of the hospital to whatever they do. That's kind of a difficult way to explain, it's difficult. But he said, all I want you is to create a model, to create, um, <clears throat> to create a kind of a road map. So I, I sat down and I came up with this acronym, REAL. All right, REAL, and the last one of those REAL The word real, at the end, the last word is, they lead by example. A good leader leads by example. And I, I connected with that because, you see, I have to do some leadership. I have some chaplains that report to me, that work with me. I would never ask a chaplain to go do something I've not done myself chaplain one that knows about this. We have to, tonight I have to go to the hospital because I got to work tonight. I got to be on call tonight. And I would never ask any of the students to go to the hospital or any other chaplains to go to the hospital and spend the night in the hospital if I haven't done that before. So when they come to me and they complain about what it is to spend the night at the hospital, I know how it feels because I've been there. You understand what I'm saying now? So, when I teach my children, when I teach my family, when I teach my church, I'm not just saying to them, go do that. I have have to show them the way. You want to know if you're a leader, look behind you. Don't look ahead of you, look behind you. Why? Why? Because if you're a leader, there's people behind you following you. And that's the truth. So that is what, the Paul, what Paul is saying. As a family, as a family in church, and as a family, as a family family, you must show your children how to go about doing things. You must show your family how to do things. Work hard. Practice what you preach. Be trustworthy. When you say something, when you promise something, deliver and, it be, and it's part of everything, by the way. If you tell your child, you do that, and if you don't do it, I'm going to take so-and-so away. Take it away if they don't do it. Don't be weak-minded. You know, excuse me for saying this. I know some kids will not, won't like what I'm saying here, but I got to say it. I don't understand this new-age education thing that, you know... I think I have a few remembrances, and I turned out okay, I have a little bit of a tick, but I turned out okay. This leads me to the next thing. In the same idea, Paul is telling the leaders of the church, correct wrong behavior. Today, we would call that, call sin by its name. Sin is sin, guys. We can't be self-quoting it. No, no, no way. We are where we are because we have been self-quoting it too much. We're not saying, I, I love the way Brother Carson said it the other day. It's, yeah. no, let's stop being politically correct. Let's do it. Let's say what we have to say. Paul is also aware of this. He says in Hebrews 12, chapter, chapter 12, verse 11, he says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. My dad would, would, would tell me that there's a proverb that says, Father, parent who loves his child, Races up early in the morning to kick them up. And I would say, Daddy, so what you're saying is you're gonna hit me every morning? He said, no, I'm not gonna hit you every morning, by the way, by the way, I'm standing before you. And in all my life, I just remember one time my dad hit me. My mom hit me every day. <laughs> <laughs> but my dad hit me only once. And it was because of a big lie. So you understand what I'm saying? Now, when you go back to the Bible and you read that proverb, it doesn't say that you have to raise them up early in the morning and kick them. He said, it's just do the, do the discipline at the right time, at the correct moment. So family matters, guys. For the, remember this, in the family matters, we have to correct wrong behaviors, and we have to correct them immediately. They have to be corrected immediately. Now, what is the responsibility of the family members? I've talked about the leaders, now let's talk about the family members. First, regard their leaders, respect them, respect their parents. I mean, remember, uh, what is the only commandment with a promise? Honor thy father and thy mother. So I think I'm talking to people that know what, I'm, what, what this is all about. So children, and we're all children. We all have parents, don't we? No matter how old we are, we all have parents. Honor your father and your mother. That is an expectation. That is something God expects from you. Now, Paul is also telling us that we must honor those who are in leadership. Second, Paul also tells us that we must accept their correction, their teaching. Hey, guys, I can be the best preacher out there and I can be standing in here and give you the best sermon all but if you don't accept my admonitions you ain't gonna get anywhere if you don't accept what we tell you if you don't accept the messages that God sends you you're not gonna do anything we were talking about that in the sabbath school lesson for a minute or two remember Jesus is telling that young man what did he tell you what did he tell him go sell everything did he do it so did he accept the admonition where did that get him he's very famous for what for not obeying Jesus so are you with me in what I'm saying ah accepting is one of the biggest most difficult things for us You know, when people tell me, Ivan, you you are wrong. Who likes to be taken to the carpet, as we say? Huh? But you know, listen listen to what the wisdom guy in the Bible tells me about that. He who heeds discipline shows the way to life. But whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Proverbs 10:17. I love this one: "Any who love knowledge want to be told when they are wrong. It is stupid to hate being corrected. Proverbs 12 12:1. 12, Proverbs 12:1. Proverbs 13:18. Someone who will not learn will be poor and disgraced. Anyone who listens to correction is respected. Proverbs 15:32 If you pay attention when you are corrected, you are wise. If you refuse to learn, you are hurting yourself. If you accept correction, you will become wiser. Now, the apostle Paul also gives us some other experience some other responsibilities for the other members of the family i'm running here i know it's hot and i want to get you out of here before three o'clock this afternoon <laughs> so responsibilities in regard to the other members of the farm, the family warn those who are idle you know one of my favorite texts in the bible has to do with the children if you go back to Genesis chapter 29. There's an interesting story, and this statement kind of goes unnoticed. Jacob is about to meet with his brother Esau after they have been in a big fight for a long time, and so Jacob has the need to send his family along. Because they want to protect the family. They're afraid that maybe Esau is going to want to take revenge over his brother. And in the middle of all this, Jacob tells his servants, You guys go ahead. I'm going to stay behind because I want to protect the weak children and the sheep. You see that? You see that? We all want to run. We, all, we, we live in a very fast-paced society, don't we? Church is even fast-paced. Have we stopped to provide a slow pace for those who are weak and for those who are sh- slow to move along? Or do we just move on ahead and whoever gets it gets it and who don't, I don't care. Is that the job of the church? No, we should, we should help those who are idle, who are slow. <coughs> Paul says this in the, to, the, to those in the Thessalonica, he says, engage the timid. He says, engage those who are timid, who are slow. Bring them in. Are we as a family, as a university church family, are we bringing in those who are here and we do not leave anyone behind like the army says? We don't leave anyone behind. We just all move. We understand that in the church family, encouragement is like a peanut butter sandwich. The more you spread it around, the better things get stuck to your fingers. (laughs) Huh? So we encourage the timid. We help the weak Paul is not here talking about those who are physically weak, but rather those who are spiritual weak. The literal translation that he uses is hold on to the weak. Do not let them fall. Hold on to them. And then help them. Hold on to them and then help them. I read this interesting story. I actually put it on Facebook a few weeks ago and a lot of people like this story because this is very interesting. This helicopter guy, he's on his helicopter and he, there, there, there is something, um, he's flying around the city of Seattle when an electrical malfunction disabled the aircraft electronic navigation and communication equipment. So he has no communication and navigation. So he is going, you know, with his helicopter and he asked, the, they get close to a huge building downtown in Seattle <clears throat> as the co-pilot take a big piece of paper and write, where am I? And put it out there. So he goes down, puts a big piece of paper, where am I? And the people downstairs, down there get another piece of paper and write, you are in a helicopter. <laughs> so the helicopter pilot smiles, brings the helicopter up, and goes straight to the heliport, the nearest heliport. The co-pilot asked him at the end, uh, How did you know how to get here? We didn't have any navigation or anything. And the information they gave us was completely useless. He says, exactly. I knew we were in the Microsoft building. Why? Well, they gave me information that was technically correct, but completely useless. (laughs) Now you know I'm an Apple guy. We are not to let the weak simply fall in the ground. We are to help them overcome their weaknesses. Help them grow in the Lord. This, um, the wisdom guy, once again, Solomon says, teach the child, where, how, when. Teach them, and when they are grown... When they're old, what would happen? We are to teach them. We are to show them the way. We are to be with them. Finally, there are family policies. I'm sure like in your family, like in mine, there are always policies. In my family, for example, always have the right attitude. Be patient with everyone. Now, this is what Paul is telling the people in the church. Always have the right attitude. Be patient with everyone. Solomon says in Proverbs fifteen eighteen: a hot-tempered man stri- stirs up depression, but a patient man calms a quarrel. Better a patient man than a warrior. A man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Proverbs 16, 32. Paul also tells the church members, he tells them, don't be vengeful. Don't be vengeful. Be kind to one another. He says, make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always be kind to each other and everyone else. Because kindness is not something that we practice only with those who are in the inside, Kindness is something that we practice with everyone. Every person needs to experience the kindness that we provide. Not that a pretty, you know, isn't that a pretty uh, tall, tall order here? That we must be good to everyone, even when they don't deserve it. Listen to what God says through Paul in Romans chapter 12. Never pay back evil for evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honest, clear, and thorough. Did you hear me? He's closing by saying, be joyful always. In all things, be joyful. Woo! Ain't that difficult? I've had to say I need to be joyful, but my tears are not letting me. That's the truth, isn't it? Be joyful always. That's another tall order here. The word always doesn't leave any room for debate. We have to be joyful all the time. joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit, isn't it? So it's one of the things God expects his children to have all the time. You know, I was reading the other day, Friedrich Nietzsche, German philosopher, and he had a big, quiet, big fight with Christians. You know what he said? I think we need to hear his statement. You know what he said? He says, I would believe in their savior if they looked a little more like people that have been saved. Be joyful always. Apparently some people believe that once they accepted Christ, the happiness left their lives. All contraire mon ami. Once Jesus comes into my house, there's nothing can stop my joy. Nothing. Finally, Paul says, pray without. That's also a tall order. And it's very clear. I love the way Stephen Curtis Chapman put it. Let us pray, let us pray everywhere and every day, every moment of the day. It is the right time. Let us pray without end and we finish, start again. Let us pray, let us pray. Don't you ever stop praying. I love the story, brother. Jesus, that's it. That's all he needs. He knows everything we need. Have you ever wondered why God wants us to pray without ceasing? He knows everything we need. Why then? Why do we have to take the time and pray? Because he wants to have a relationship. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to know you as a person. Well, you may say, he already knows me. He knows me before I was formed. Yes, he knows you before you were born formed, but he wants to speak with you. He wants to hear your voice, and he wants you to hear his voice, because prayer is not just one way. Pray is two-way conversation. He closes saying, give thanks in all circumstances. For whatever happens in your life, it is the will of God. And finally says, greet each other with holy kiss. Do you see now the explanation of church, the explanation of family that is happening here? Let's go back to our Bible Bible reading. Do not, he closes verses, uh, first Thessalonians chapter five, verses 19 and on. Do not quench the spirit. Do not threat prophecies with concept, treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God himself the God of peace sanctify you through and through. Did you hear that church? May God Himself, the God of peace sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is your faithful and He will do it. You know what he's saying here is we have all these things that I've told you about, church. All these things that I have told you, families that you need to keep. All this thing is beautiful, but he will complete what you cannot do. Now I understand. I confessed a few minutes ago how I feel that sometimes I was the worst of parents. But here's the beauty of my daughter. God completed what I couldn't do. And he will continue to complete it. Yes, brothers and sisters, Paul finishes. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. He has told them already, they need to pray without ceasing. But he says again, pray now for us. Greet all God's people with holy keys. And charge you, I charge you before the Lord to say this letter. Read to all of the brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. That is the family of God. A family that is filled with grace. But is filled with grace that is like that peanut butter sandwich. The more you share it, the stickier it gets. Don't you love that? I love it. I love the fact that God has provided. And he is asking you, rely on me. I'll take care of everything. I will finish the work. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. He will build your home. He will build your church. Praise God.